if I was not naive, I would have never studied anything like that. It, it's okay. insane. It, it is out of mind. If, if someone was really analyzing the market, wouldn't do anything that I do, really. Hello everyone, my name is Peter Kovács and you are listening to God Talks, double G, U, double T. Hi everyone, welcome to season one of God Talks, double G, U, double T, a podcast focusing on business and tech for good, experience design and gut feelings. I'm Maria, designer, strategist and venture builder running two ventures, GUT, Double G, UWT, and Other Dots Foundation. I decided to launch GUT Talks as the pandemic hit with an ambition to educate, put some karma on the board, and feature entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and investors who deserve recognition and have inspiring stories to tell. Feel free to email me if you need me, maria at gut.com, or check the links in the show notes. Now let's get started. Our guest today is Peter Kovach, who started his career as a headhunter, meeting and hiring people in an unconventional way, as he likes to say it. He grew a large, ever-expanding network across five continents while building global startup awards that started with regional events initially. His goal is to overcome geographical borders and create meaningful, interconnected ecosystems and regions. And I just want to take the opportunity here to mention that at God, there's a new LinkedIn group called God Talks. So feel free to join. It would be awesome to have you there because if you're always listening and so on, I want to create this community to, you know, have new guests, but also have some feedback on the questions and the conversations you would like me to have as well and connect people too. So feel free to join. The link is in the blurb. Peter, thank you for being on God Talks. Great to meet you again after so long. How are you? Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. And um, do you want to expand a little bit on my brief intro to you? Because I know there's much more to that. Yeah, I mean, what, what would you be interested in? Just, <laughs> I, I can I can speak for hours. You know, yeah. let's be let's be uh, you know focused as much as possible. Who's Peter? I'm the guy who likes meeting people and making friends. That's been very characteristic for me ever since I was around. So even when I was a kid and we went for, you know, like vacation with my family and I was five, six, uh, even then the first thing I wanted to do when we arrived is to go out and find friends. So I was the kind of guy who went out and, you know, picked up different people at different places around the area and kind of formed a group of children playing together. But I never wanted to be the leader of this group. I just wanted to play this role of convincing these kids to come together and play together. And that's exactly what I do these days. But this time I get some money for it sometimes. I've heard that all before, and it's really a nice way of putting it because you're actually doing what you love as well. So I want to ask you as well, before we dive in, how does it feel not to be on a plane at the moment? Because I know you're travel all the time. Yeah, I love traveling. And that also comes from the fact that I was, I think, 16 when I had the chance for the first time in my life to go on an airplane. And, and ever since then, even though I was traveling a lot, 
before the pandemic started, I was always excited before going on board. That was, you know, like going somewhere else and, and discovering new places, smelling new things and, you know, new air and, and meeting new people. That has always been, you know, such a pleasure for thing to me. So I obviously miss that. But at the same time, I also have an introverted part of my personality. And that introvert really enjoys actually this situation. And let's not forget about the fact that we are so privileged to have this pandemic now and not like 20 years ago, uh, not talking about the age, but more like the opportunities you have, you know, having the internet around us. So of course, it's a different question that some people don't know how to use it properly or how to use it for the right purpose or the right way. But at the same time, if you know how to use it, you know what are your opportunities, then you can balance it out emotionally pretty much. So I don't feel lonely at all. I don't feel locked down, also coming from the fact that we don't really have a real lockdown situation in my country. But all in all, I'm okay. Also, at the same time, time is just flying so fast. I mean, it's so incredible to realize that this pandemic has been around almost for a year now. And I don't really see it as a year. It feels like just being a few weeks or a few months, you know, and vaccination is around the corner and, and eventually we will get over it and, and we will appreciate things better for sure. And I know you've been posting pictures on your social media about your home studio, which allows you to find a better atmosphere for what you do. How's it treating you? <laughs> It's treating me well. To be honest, I have never ever had such a well-developed work environment around me. I have always been the guy who just sits down with his laptop anywhere and just opens and, and answers a few emails. And I have never even used external screens before in my life. And now I have two additional screens around me. And yeah, I started investing some money into this. The money that I should have invested into flights, you know, and not even a small portion of the money was required actually for this investment. I bought actually a table that can be lifted up and down like a motorized table. I bought a walking pad. And, you know, I mean, I tried to create an environment that really gives me everything I need to be successful online. And I enjoy it a lot. It gives me actually, you know, a very strange feeling when I have to use just my laptop somewhere. But I feel like I'm just trying to send an email from a small screen phone or something like that. Yeah, I, I get what you mean, because I also invested in some tech just to get over that. But in your case, because you're on events, that was that we're going to jump into that a bit. But you mentioned that going back into your childhood and your career, which is kind of part of the journey you started a long time ago. Did you know that this is what you wanted to do or it just unfolded and you were taking the opportunities through a series of discoveries or so on? It's the second one. I had no clue about what I wanted to become. And especially when time passed by and I became, you know, a student and then going to high school. I remember during the last years of high school studies, I was feeling a bit worried about the fact that the society wanted me to pick something as a kind of lifetime decision, what I want to become. And I just had no clue about what to do. And because there were so many things I was not aware of. And that's what I felt. You know, I felt that it's just so unfair because society wants me to make a decision among things when most of them I don't even know about. How could I make a choice? And uh, then over the, the following years, I was actually following the strategy of just going ahead and let's see what comes up. And, and also I was trying to... 
<laughs> I'm actually, you're talking about yes. the gut feeling before we get to that. So that, yes, keep going. Yes, yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry about that. I hope it was not a warning sign that I'm going to do. No, that was brilliant, yeah. actually. Great. <laughs> so um, I started following the strategy of closing out things. So let's discover stuff. And I really used my university years of doing as many things as possible, trying a lot of different stuff. Like really, literally, I, I couldn't even list you all the things I tried. And every time I was trying to learn about those you know, situations, what was good for me, what were the elements of that thing I enjoyed and what were the elements that I didn't enjoy. So that was my way of learning more about myself. But even when I graduated from university, I had no clue about what I wanted to become. But then things just came to me. So I was just always open-minded, always went after things, always grabbed opportunities. And eventually that somehow put me into the direction that I've been going. Okay, so we met when you were actually in Milan at an event for Prezi. That was like 10 years ago or something uh, like that. Yeah, roughly. Or, yes. or 11 years ago, uh, nine years so ago. I, I think yeah. it was around 2012 or 12. Yeah, yeah, 12, like I believe that. as well. Yeah. And I remember like your business card said like something about connections or making friends and so on. But that then led you to another journey, which is the Idea Lab or X Labs. You're based yes. in Budapest, right? And from there, you created the regional startup awards, the European startup awards, and then the global startup awards. That was a spin-off from the lab. Can you take us through the journey? of how this got started from like Prezi and all the way to what you do right now? Yeah, so uh, right before I graduated from my university studies, as I mentioned, I was always open for opportunities. So if someone gave me a call and offered me, you know, like a chance for an interview for a job, I always went for it. And one day I was invited by a recruitment agency for an interview. They were planning to introduce me to one of their clients. And and I went there and then I had the talk with them. And, you know, my, my secret was that I, I, back then, especially, I was not even really looking for a job because my plan was to finish my studies and, and just start traveling. I wanted to leave the country for a few years and just whatever comes. But then at the end of the interview, they asked me this question that, hey, maybe wouldn't you consider working for us? And I had no clue about what recruitment was, really, literally nothing. But then I felt, you know, talking about gut feelings, I, I had really good feelings about the whole situation. And at first I said no, because I wanted to be really like faithful to my plans. But then they, they kept on calling me back. What about part-time job? And I said, you know what, let's do that. And I was like, you know, there is like this three-month resignation period anyway, and I can just leave whenever I want. So if it's not working out, I can just leave. And until then, at, at least I will earn some more money, you know, that I can use. So I joined and really quickly I realized I was really, really, how to say, kind of into this. And then I was, I became really successful as a recruiter, but I had a very strange approach to this, uh, to this whole kind of profession because most of, most of the people as recruiters, they're only worried about reaching their KPIs and, and only, you know, specifically meeting people they can introduce to their clients. I never approached it like this. I realized that now I'm getting paid for meeting people and I can ask questions that usually people don't like answering, just like what is their salary, right? And I had the chance to ask anything. And when I saw an interesting profile, an interesting person, I didn't care if, that, if I could introduce that person to a client or not. I just initiated a meeting and I never lied. I always told them that, hey, you know, I don't know if I can offer you anything, but 
but then I also realized that, that, you know, I mean, I can help these guys sometimes simply by introducing them to each other. And of course, I never monetized those things. And after a while, I also realized that, okay, I can't talk to so many people at the same time. So what if I bring all these people together? That started the event in my life. And then over the years, I was still in a strange way successful also by KPIs. However, I've never paid attention to them. I just, Looking back, I was quite you know, an idiot because I don't even know how it works out. But, but that, I was just successful. And then I was, again, just open, going after things. Then that's how I got involved into the very first days of the startup movement in my country. Right. So I, uh, there was an event series where I was invited and then I was keep on going. And eventually I took over the organization of that absolutely like a nonprofit organization called Open Cafe Club. And then I started working for startups. I started helping startups finding people, sometimes actually for free. And then I decided that this is just so cool and this is so you know, much fascinating that I decided that I would become the recruiter of the startup ecosystem. And I remember back in the days, it was you know, the, around 2009, 2010, everyone thought I was crazy. Everyone was keep on telling me that you shouldn't do that. You know, they couldn't really differentiate small, medium enterprise companies from startups. And they said, you know, especially in Hungary, like they are not paying taxes. They don't have money. Why would you focus on them? And I said, you know, I'm just going to take the responsibility. I'm going to work more. I'm going to work harder because of course we couldn't get as much money, as much, you know, service fee from these companies that we could get from large multinational organizations. Then I said, you know, I'm going to make more placements and I don't care. So I became the first recruiter in, actually in my country being specialized in startups. And that gave me the opportunity to join Prezi. And then we met each other. But even when I joined Prezi, I was so much into doing my own stuff. But I just couldn't resist accepting Prezi's offer. And I'm still very grateful that they gave me this opportunity to join them. But eventually, after roughly one and a half years, I decided that I would, I would leave and we would start our own company. And the, the very first step in our, our entrepreneurial journey was ICQ, a recruitment agency, together with some of my former colleagues. And that company, when we started, you know, we just jumped into things. We didn't have the chance to build a startup because we needed money immediately. We had no savings and I already had my first son with us. So... You know, I didn't have like savings for years or even months. So we, we really had to be successful immediately. But then... You uh, had no choice, basically, yeah, but to make it work. Absolutely. But I also didn't want to play this game that, you know, I, I have this job and I work overnight and I have to lie and I, I didn't want to do that. So I just decided to just go into this full time and take the responsibility and it worked out. And then we started, you know, playing around other ideas because we couldn't really, especially myself, I couldn't really imagine myself just doing recruitment. I mean, I still loved doing recruitment, but I was like, okay, let's build our own stuff. Let's do things. And, uh, and then we started doing lots of stuff and talking to different people that eventually started Central European Startup Awards together with my partner from Denmark, who just started up Nordic Startup Awards before that. And I also met the guy who was originally the founder of Startup Safari from Berlin. And then we decided to start the Budapest edition. And one of my co-founders, he decided to start doing some education projects. And so we started doing a lot of different stuff. We even had a cafe, actually. But that we eventually sold after a year or so because we realized that that's not for us as a business. 
And you know, after like a while, we, we had to realize that however it looks really cool that, that people don't understand what ICQ does, <laughs> because everything okay. was just running under the brand of ICQ. We couldn't answer the question what ICQ does, and, and that was not helpful to the core activities, of course. And, and that was the moment when we decided that we would actually separate the company, and we created a new company called X-Labs that stands for Experimental Laboratories, right? So finally, we didn't have to explain that we cannot explain what the company does. It's just okay. an incubator, right, where we incubate our own ideas. And then we practically moved over all the activities from ICQ that were not related to recruitment and HR into X-Labs. And then we started, you know, working on those. We, we kept on working on these projects under X-Labs. And then eventually these things spinned off from X-Labs. The only thing that remained there is the education projects. And now X-Labs is the company for the education projects. And now it's managed by one of my co-founders who is specifically focusing on that project. Yeah, good to hear the, the whole journey, actually, because you went through different things and one thing led you to another. And you trusted your gut along the way. Like, let's go, All for, the it. Time. Let's go for it. Yeah. All the time. So can you expand a little bit on the Global Startup Awards? Because I know that you've done a number of events over the years, each time adding some regions because you want to connect and build bridges across regions and people. Because you told me once again, I remember that you don't believe in geographical borders, which makes absolute sense. You think that it's just the minds that need to connect. How has it been so far and how was this year? Yeah, so um, originally the reason why we started this competition, which is not a startup competition, but a startup ecosystem competition, and that is a big, I will explain why, is a big difference. So initially, the reason why we started back then is that we realized that we didn't know too much about our neighboring countries. We only knew our neighboring countries as tourists. But back in the beginning of the decade, we had no information about you know, what startups you can find there, what investors you can find in these countries, how the innovation, the startups, it looks like at all. We had zero information about that. And to me, surprisingly, it was pretty much the same situation in the Nordic region. However, the Nordic region has always been historically more connected. Even they didn't pay too much attention about on each other on that. And the reason is very simple and makes a lot of sense that everyone has always been focusing on the global hubs. Everyone knew everything about what was going on in the Bay Area, what was going on in London and all these other, like Berlin and all these other big, you know, hubs. But we didn't know anything about the neighbors. And we found it ridiculous. And especially in, in my region, you know, most of the countries in this region joined the European Union around in 2004. And of course, also for historical reasons, we've been always, you know, disconnected from each other. And it has never been like a united region or anything like that. But of course, when we speak about startups, we are pretty much the same people everywhere. We are driven by the same things and we are inspired by the same global thought leaders. And we have a very strong common understanding about each other's problems and challenges and everything. And I just found it ridiculous that I didn't know anything about what's going on in Slovakia, in Austria, in Romania or any of these countries in the region. So uh, we were partially inspired actually by Eurovision contest when it came to the competition because Eurovision contest, not too many people know about it, that was actually originally created after the Second World War to reunite Europe culturally again. So through a competition, you bring people together. 
that was the philosophy that we really liked about it and we wanted to implement. And that's how we started actually the competition. And that's also the reason why it has never been a pitching contest for startups. As I mentioned, it's been always a startup ecosystem competition, which means that we always had categories not only for startups on different majority levels or, or industry focus, but also for investors, co-working offices, acceleration programs, founders, most inspiring women. So we really wanted to, you know, open it up and give the chance to the whole aspect of these startup ecosystems to introduce themselves. And practically the whole competition is nothing else but a selection process or which decides who we want to bring together. Because if you bring together 10,000 people, you cannot really achieve very deep, valuable connections coming out of those gatherings. So you need to have a, a selection process. And we have this philosophy that we never want to bring together more than 150 people for an event, because that's kind of the only way how you can guarantee that people start going a bit deeper in talking to each other. And, you know, you simply have the chance to bump into the same person, not only once. Like if you go to Web Summit, when it was still physical, of course, I remember once I was in Web Summit back when it was in Dublin and, and I thought I was in Web Summit and I just realized an hour later that it's not even yet Web Summit. <laughs> it was just one of the entry part of the whole event. And you have no chance, you know, just meeting the same person twice randomly. Oh, for sure. I've been in, to the one in Portugal and it's, it's uh, huge, massive. Yeah. So you can And don't get me wrong, I'm not underestimating the importance. Of no, that. for I mean, sure. But for us, we wanted to do something different. We wanted to curate the community we bring together. And for that reason, we find the competition really useful because we eventually use the competition to decide who we want to invite and bring together. And those people, they already have a more kind of social trust in between each other because they all have gone through the same selection process. Yeah. They're all winners already in a way. And they can really, you know, get over this forming period of creating groups of people talking to each other. And that's how we started first in the Nordic region and then in and Central Eastern Europe. And, and then in 2015, we were introduced to a company, uh, actually, uh, it's more like it was not, more like a government foundation in Malaysia. They had already completed the season in their project called the Rise Bowl Startup Awards, which was exactly the same uh, mission and exactly the same concept. And then we started having conversations with them and then we decided that they would like to cooperate. And that was the moment when we realized that actually it could be something more than just these two regions and maybe we could do something more ambitious. And then we created the brand Global Startup Awards. Okay, and, which is... And, uh... Yeah. Yeah, no, keep going because you're yeah. in how many regions at the moment? Well, from this year, 2021, we are all together in how many? <laughs> I know that I, we, we cover 105 countries from 2021. Um, okay. uh, in, in, in Europe, there are three regions. In uh, Asia, there are two regions. And in Africa, five. Okay, so you have the regional competitions and then the global award. Absolutely. So before we started the global level of the competition, practically we had national and then the regional level. And national was the entry level. And then we had regional, which was the end of the whole process. And then when we onboarded Southeast Asia and created the new layer of the competition, the global layer, that's actually the layer where the regional winners are becoming the global finalists. So exactly the same concept, but on a global level or interregional yeah. level, let's say. Absolutely. So I'm just going to throw that in. If there are countries where you still want to go into, 
they can check your website and someone can apply and help supporting or adding some additional countries. I have a question for you. So you said the competition is just about bringing people together mm-hmm. under your umbrella because, you know, they all trust you and you made the selection based on how they would fit with each other, create more collaborations or whatever it may be, find the investment different things. Yes. How do you measure as well the impact of the selection you have at a regional level, but also at a global scale? What happens next? You know, that's that's something that we are still struggling with a little bit, to be honest, simply because of the fact that we don't monetize this. So when we bring these people together and if they make any kind of business relationships with each other, we never get anything out of that. We don't ask for you know success fees or anything like that. And then for that reason, it's, it's extremely hard to follow up on all these connections, right? And, and especially because if something happens, that's not going to be on the top of the mind of these people to, hey, we should let global startup of ours know about it. And it's completely fine because this whole thing is not about us. It's about them. And, and we've been trying to implement different strategies to learn more about, you know, the successes. We know about quite a few, actually, of course, but some of them just turned out through, you know, conversations that were completely out of the scope. I can give you one example. I met a guy, uh, the global final that we had back in China at the end of 2019. And the guy was, we were just having some drinks, you know, it was really like the leisure time. And, and he told me that, ah, you know, how grateful he was that he won that Formula One ticket from us, because back then we were actually sponsored by a company selling Formula One tickets and we got tickets and we gave it to the winners because he just, he has never been to Formula One and even he didn't use up the ticket, but he gave it to one of the potential clients they had who was a huge fan of Formula One. And that was the last trigger for them to get that business. So, you know, like stories like that, we never, we never hear back, you know, unless you can spend time with these people. But there have been so many things like that. Again, our goal is not to monetize it. Uh, our goal is really to nurture it, to give the opportunity for people. And of course, we should figure out better ways of learning about these success stories because we would love to show them and we would love to communicate about it also in the favor of these winning companies, of course. So yeah, we know about a few cool stories and, uh, and, and some investments that happened because of that. Even this year, actually, early this year, There was a guy invited to be in the jury for South Europe, and he actually invested into two companies. And he gave me a call before that. Hey, is it okay? I was a jury. Do you mind? Because I would so much like to get involved into these two companies. And I said, of course, do it. But that's exactly why we are doing this. So there are many, many stories like that around. I think that would require a session on its own because you have good stories. Do you have a story where, you know, it didn't work out really well that taught you something not to repeat or something to change in your process? Every time, you know, our process is still (laughs) far away from being perfect. And every time we try to make it better and better. And, And, you know, I mean, of course, if you build a product, you tend to see the, you know, the mistakes all the time. And that's nothing different for us. What makes me feel a bit better about it, and, and I will still try to answer your question, don't worry, I'm not trying to escape from that. What makes me feel better is when I have a look at other competitions, right? Because even though we are far away from being perfect, they are still further away. Most of them, I don't say, of course, all of them. And, you know, at least we have a transparent process for the competition that anyone can check out and we don't hack things and anything like that. No one can buy into win a category But to answer your question, things that are not working well, one of the biggest challenge we have in the competition is, is called the shortlisting. 
every year we try to come up with a solution that will not just kill everyone in the team because we have to involve experts. It's also kind of a work of uh, the same work as, as a jury would do. But when a jury member joins the process, it's already a, a kind of filtered audience, you know, a filtered, uh, curated list of companies they have to rate. But shortlisting is really painful because there are thousands of companies you have to screen through. That's not the kind of job you want to give to an intern or a junior because that person, even if he or she is smart, just without experience, wouldn't be able to identify some diamonds, right? But at the same time, you also cannot give it to a senior person who is really busy because it's just a lot of works. And, you know, eventually what happens is that during those weeks, we have to force people to do the job and we have to also be involved into that deeply, sleepless nights. And that's just so crazy. Of course, we continuously try to figure out the way to do it better, but we haven't managed to find the solution yet. And that's just one example. We have many, many things like that, of course. And, uh, but we don't want to give up quality. We don't want to, even like this, we, we, of course, also make mistakes many times. So sometimes, you know, we see companies becoming finalists that are not even fitting the category, right? And then we're like, how could that happen? You know, and, and it happens. It's a tough one because if you do it manually, it's really time consuming. And not yeah. only that, it's so much you can do, especially if you have lots of applicants. So it's lots of data. But if you want to automate it and you have kind of data that you need to put into a system to have, you know, powered by AI, whatever the way yeah. it's going to be done. It's also risky because you still have, we're not there yet, maybe in terms of human aspect and all what yeah. you would miss out. So it's very tough. Fortunately, one. in a way, we are not yes. yet, yet there, but, but, but also, yeah. So there are many, many things that, that should be innovated and, and further developed. And we are continuously working on these things, but we are just human, average human with 24 hours a day. And what we do is kind of crazy and impossible. So... And that's also coming back to this gut feeling, uh, you know, topic. And, and if I was not naive, I would have never studied anything like that. It, it's okay. insane. It, it is out of mind. If, if someone was really analyzing the market, wouldn't do anything that I do, really. It is challenging, but I guess that's what keeps you going as well, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I just can't leave unfinished things behind. I, 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 my personality can't handle that. So if, if you look at anything I have ever done, I never, ever stopped anything. It, it, of course, for example, taking this example of this coffee that we had, we didn't just stop it, we sold it. That was the first exit in our life that didn't make us rich at all, of course. But, but you know, I mean, we never leave things just unfinished behind us. And I, just my personality just doesn't allow me to do that. Yeah, and, and also when you see the value you can bring, it makes you want to see more when you see results, when you have stuff that are tangible at a human level, because it's all about humans in your case, and then connecting yes. them and you see great things happen. I guess if you have a bad day, but a small little thing makes you smile, it's just, it's worth all the effort, I guess. Definitely. Uh, and, and I have another rule for myself that it's okay if I feel that I just don't want to do anything anymore about everything I've been doing over the years. In, at the end of the day, as long as I feel motivated when I wake up. That's the rule that I have. That if, if that day ever comes, when I wake up in a way that oh, I don't want to do this, that's going to be a problem. But so far, it hasn't happened. Thank God for that, I guess, yes. because I think you're much needed in what you've been growing and doing 
over the years, and I'm not saying this year, but we met nine years ago, although we don't speak every day, but at least I know what you're doing. You know, so we're connected. Um, I want to go back to events because I think that's an interesting one. How was this year's Global Startup Awards? Because you invited me as well. You yes. tried new tools and, you know, software, try, experimented. There are different people from all, all over the world. How was it? You know, the fortunate or the lucky situation is that the whole process of the competition, I would say 90% of the process has always been happening online. When it's about nominations and applications and the selection process, those things have always been happening online. And only the physical events were the ones that were affected, of course, by the pandemic and we had to rethink them. Well, the first thing is that at the end of 2019, if I remember correctly, 11th to the 14th of December 2019, we were just 350 kilometers away from Wuhan. That's where we had our global final and we had like 60 people flying in from three different continents. So when this whole pandemic started, we even had the feeling that we might have contributed to that. But, but fortunately, most of the people tested, you know, of course, themselves. No one got you know, affected from that trip. But the very first sign that was real was actually the regional final of South Europe Startup Awards, which should have happened at the end of February 2020 in Turin, in Italy. And I remember that literally, I think the event planned to take place on a Wednesday and it was Sunday. And I have my plane ticket for Monday. And on Sunday, I was watching the news and it was like, it was all around that, hey, you know, something really, really bad is happening in Italy, you know, and then specifically in that region and everything was canceled. And and that was the first shock, you know, that, okay, this thing is here. And I remember those days, even, even then, no one wanted to believe in Europe that this thing could affect them. You know, I mean, Hungary is not far from Italy. If you look at the map, right? And And I was in Italy, still am, and I wasn't believing it. I thought that's a matter of two, three days. Yeah. So, uh, but but I I quickly realized that, okay, it's going to, of course, I didn't know for how long or anything like that, but I I felt that it's going to change or 2020. I didn't know that it was also going to change 2021, but and I immediately remember I talked to Kim, my co-founder, and then also Ricardo, and I told them that, guys, we won't have physical events this year. And they, they both said, I'm crazy. It's not possible. I mean, it's just not possible. We already had sponsorship engagements, <laughs> signed contracts and everything. And then I was like, okay, guys, just listen and keep your eyes open. And unfortunately, I was right. But I think we still realize that on time, like before others did. And, and that, that was an important fact that we could start investigating into new stuff before others. And I will give you a very, very strange and funny example. I bought um, like an external camera you know, to do video calls um, because I, I just felt that I needed one. You know, I mean, I, I had this impression that I would need a good camera. And back then the, the one, this I know, Logitech, something that I bought costed me not too much. Like a month later, this product was not available anymore. And even if it was, they raised the price 15 times higher, 15 times higher. So, you know, realizing things on time was really important back then because these producers were just not ready to produce as many things for the market. And also you might remember that laptops were out of stock as well. And and, uh, when everyone had to move to home office and so it was quite crazy. And, and also it was exactly the same situation about the different services. So we, we really managed to make some deals on time 
before it was literally impossible to get good deals. And I think that also contributed. And eventually we used the combination of verbal and impromptu for our events, which of course will never give the same experience as going to a conference, at least for another five, 10 years for sure. But it was still much better than just having a so-called conference on Zoom. Just to mention, like, Verbella is like um, a platform that allows you to have your avatar move around in a space, even have your own presentations on a wall and so on. And impromptu is... That's a check startup, actually. They provide okay. this platform where, which makes people really easily connect each other so they you can book directly meetings with each other. And how was the experience of people? Because I'm just interested to see you had people from everywhere, as we mentioned. Yeah. And I personally couldn't find my way in how to move around until you told me just use your keyboard instead of the mouse. But how was the interaction? How was the engagement? You know, for some people that used to play games all their childhood, it's usually much easier and smoother. They really quickly get adopted to this and then the, they find all the functionalities very easily. For some people, it's more challenging. And I should say that what is the most challenging about it is to learn the social aspect in this platform. Because some things that is quite obvious to you in real life is not that obvious in Virbala. And of course, learning functionalities like what keyboard you have to use, what are the functions that you can do is one thing. That's something you can read and learn quickly. But the social aspect is not something you, you just learn from, a, I don't know, a, a tutorial video, right? That's something you have to go through experience. You have to experience it. And even for me, it took, I would say, at least a few months to really feel it and what I can make out of it. So, of course, we couldn't prep people enough to be 100% ready for this. That was literally impossible. But we did our very best to give enough information to everyone, to motivate everyone to just go in, try it out, you know, as much as you have time for it. But of course, most people are busy and they didn't have time. So some people were really enjoying it. Some people found it really strange. And, but that's how it is. That's natural. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you need, it's a learning curve and it's, people need to get, I guess, acquainted and mentally ready, as you said, to absolutely. experiment new things because some people would go for it. Some would be like more hesitant and so on. So how do you envision the future of your global events? Would they be, well, I'm not talking about 2021. I'm talking about mm -hmm. in general. Do you think that you will be able to, or you would want to do hybrid events or go back to physical events or do virtual events. I'm talking about the um, global final. Mm -hmm. We would love to go back to physical because that last global event we had in China, that was such an amazing experience, not just for me, but everyone. We spent three days together, those selected people, which is enough to have meaningful, deep conversations with some people, also to go and have drinks. We even had a closing party where we were dancing and having fun. So you cannot replace it with an online event, at least as of yet. It's impossible. So we would love to go back to physical. At the moment, I don't believe in hybrid events. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone will show me how to do it better and I will, you know, applause and then I'm happy to learn. But as I see it now, if you try to do a hybrid event, you will either please online or offline, but the two at the same time will not be successful. That's how I see it. And for that reason, if we cannot organize a physical event for the next global round, which has chances, to be honest, I would rather decide to do a fully online event than a hybrid one. 
Okay, interesting. And yeah, I guess uh, you, we were talking behind the scenes, you were saying that technology wise, we're not yet yet, or we don't know yes. yet. So it makes sense. So, so two things, I want to wrap mm-hmm. up with two things. First of all, thank you so much for that. It was great talking to you. Is there anything you. you would like to add? Uh, anything I would like to add, just follow your gut feelings. I mean, that's uh, probably the best advisor you have. And maybe just one addition on that. I think gut feelings work well hand in hand with experience. So the more things you have experienced in life, the more things you have gone through, the better your gut feelings will be as an advisor. And it can also work the, uh, how to say, the other way around. So some young people might think too much and overestimate their gut feelings at the same time, which can be dangerous because they keep on hearing how gut feelings, how important they are, and they are your best advisors. I would just like to advise people with less experience to be more humble about their own gut feelings because I also you know, got into situations that only God knows how I escaped out of because I was like not giving shit about anything and just following my gut feelings. So that can also mislead and people can have, you know, kind of unrealistic expectations. And that's not only for gut feelings, but anything else. And I think you cannot save the hard work. That's also very important. And when you have done a few things in life and you, you have your successes and failures, then your gut feelings will become indeed your best advisors. And I don't say that you shouldn't follow your gut feelings. Don't get me wrong. I really don't want to make people think that. But also, it's important to use your brain. So this message especially goes out to the young people, right? That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, no, thank you for that. And I think this should be heard, actually, because it makes absolute sense. So we spoke about different things. I really enjoyed this conversation, actually. We spoke about events, connecting mindsets and regions, purpose, building communities, and recruiting. So we saw different topics, but all under business and tech for good, experiences and gut feelings. So, Peter, one thing, if anyone is interested in hosting a regional or local events, mm-hmm. how can they reach out to you? And this is for everyone, actually. How, if someone wants to know more about you and about the global and regional startup awards, where can we find you? Yeah, probably the easiest way to reach me is LinkedIn. Don't be surprised. People cannot send me easily a connection request on LinkedIn, but you can either send me an email through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all the time, so I'm, I'm following that always or actually if someone really wants to reach me it's not impossible to find my contact details with your best friend called google so if someone wants to find me they'll find me it is absolutely not impossible how to join global startup awards or expansion model if i may call it like that is mostly based on uh, regional partnerships we have a model that is not really a licensee model but it's a weird mixture of a service slash licensee cooperation when actually we, we don't like onboarding single countries. Of course, there are exceptions, like talking about China, which is not part of the competition yet. Of course, China is bigger than whole Europe, also by population and geographics and everything. So it's hard to compare Slovenia to China, for example, if we talk about countries. But the main concept or the fundamental concept is that we would like to onboard regions. And for the reason that why we started this whole thing, that the core value we would like to give through the competition is to first connect the neighboring countries. 
And for that reason, we are mostly looking for partners that are interested in starting up new regions where we don't exist yet. And there are many untapped you know, parts of the world where we don't exist with the competition yet. We are actually not making profit on these corporations. We ask for a fee that we call a contribution fee, but we actually still have more cost on building up these regions. But we are looking for dedicated partners who are actually you know, putting some money also on the table so we know that they are serious about it. That's the only reason. That's the main drive for kind of expansion with the competition. It's also possible to join with single countries in a way that if you have a region, an already existing region, and, and someone comes from a country and, hey, my country is not in that region, but I would like to change that. And we can have a discussion. And that's a completely different game to play. And if you have a regional partner, then we will obviously have a conversation with all of us and we will decide if that works out. And, you know, generally the goal is to make it truly global. We just want to do it in a way that we are faithful to our concept and our values. And we would, again, as I mentioned, we find it really important that we keep this regional structure as the fundamental of the competition as much as possible. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, again, also for this opportunity and I love your podcast. You are listening to Gut Talks by Maria Matloub. To support the show, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with anyone who could benefit from listening to these stories and experiences. To continue the conversation, join the LinkedIn group or the Telegram channel. All links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>